Hey everyone. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about a special Q&A episode that we have coming up in December. We're going to be talking to Kevin Elmy from Cover Crops Canada. <laughs> so if you have any questions about cocktail crops, using them for feed, forage, or even just as a green manure for your cropland, send us a message. Let us know what you want to know. Uh, there's a pinned post on our Facebook page you can comment on, or you can email your questions to podcast at pcbfa.ca, or you can tweet them at PCBFA on Twitter. Thanks, and enjoy the episode! Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today, I'm chatting with Kelly Sidoric from Ballistic Management Canada about long-term planning in the farm business. Uh, but before we get into all that, Kelly, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about how you got started with holistic management? Okay. Thanks, Johanna, so much for having me. So holistic management has been around for a number of years. Um, the concept was put together by Alan Savory, and our family first learned of it over 30 years ago. And um, we were in a transitional phase in our operation, and I wasn't even actually working at home on the home operation at that time. But one of the things when I first was introduced to it, and of course it talked about the land and the livestock, which appealed to me. It talked about the finances, which I felt was important, but it also talked about the people. And that was uh, a really an epiphany for me that it actually put the people side back in with the other two components. And so with that, because I'd always had leanings towards that personal growth piece of it, as well as the agriculture base that, that our operation was a predominantly livestock operation. So many years ago, that uh, really sparked our interest. And um, we got involved with the organization, we did a bunch of training and continuous learning. Uh, that's one of the tenants, you know, is being open minded and a lifelong learner. And I decided to do a self-directed, um, it was called the self-directed degree program at that time. We have a diff different certification process for educators nowadays and uh, embarked on that. And um, my focus or thesis at that time also was families in business, which is uh, not surprising that I've continued to be interested in that area and worked with a lot of families now in the succession arena, whether they are involved in holistic management or not. So that's kind of the background. And then we transitioned our operation to be predominantly forage based. We um, have everything for the most part uh, seeded down to grass and practice adaptive multi-paddock grazing. Uh, we have did one transition where it, uh, my brother and I took over from our parents and now we're starting another one where um, my kids are wanting to get involved in the operation and are involved actually. So uh, 
a work in progress, I suppose you could say there. Or maybe it's the 4-H learn to do by doing, how many times do you have to do it? But I certainly stress always that the succession planning component isn't just a one-off event. It is a process for sure. So yeah, that's, and, and along with that, I am still a certified educator through Holistic Management International. And I also sit on that board of directors. So I've really had some amazing opportunities, as I said, to learn and apply and meet some really, really great people along the way. Right on. So what we're talking about today is mainly long-term planning. Um, and it can be a tricky thing to think about because we never know what next year's going to look like or um, what the weather's going to do or what prices are going to do. So with all of that variability in mind, why is it important to maybe get a long-term plan in place? Well, one of um, my favorite quotes of Alan Savory, and of course there's many, but one of them was people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. And I think just what you said, Johanna, there are so many variables and we do a, we put a major emphasis on the planning process, not only way far out creating that uh, shared holistic context goal, but then really a lot of emphasis on annual financial planning and um, annual grazing or cropping planning, depending on what's going on. But again, just circling back a little bit, I think because there is so much variability, that is why we need to really start focusing in and talking about, well, first of all, why are we doing this? And you know, then furthermore, what are we hoping to accomplish and what are we hoping to achieve? So we really kind of start back, sit back, big picture, long view, and then start bringing it back to, okay, what does that look like for the coming year? Right, that makes some sense. So with that in mind, um, what sort of goals would you recommend that people maybe start with when they're, when they're thinking about getting a, a long-term plan in place? Well, you know, one of the things that we really emphasize in our three-part holistic goal or context, one component of it is the quality of life and based on the values that we have. So really talking about um, not only for you as an individual, it can apply that way, but also the team you're working with, the family members, really sitting down to talk about what, what are we trying to create here? What kind of life do we want? And, you know, those aren't always conversations that we typically have in agriculture on our farms and ranches. I don't know too much about other industries, but, you know, I think that's a really important piece of it coming together. And as, um, you know, leadership expert Simon Sinek talks about with the golden circle and really why are we doing this? And then the next level of it is the uh, production and the behaviors and systems. So we think about, you know, if we've identified what kind of quality of life we're trying to achieve, what do we need to produce to achieve that? Uh, for many of us, part of that is going to be a profit, but also it's not only about the financial end of it. It's also about, you know, what sort of um, 
in supportive environments, perhaps, do we need to create for, you know, continuing education, for improved communication. So we really try to look beyond, you know, when we think of what we are actually producing, it's not just the finances or the commodity, but it's also, you know, how we're wanting our um, operations to be for the individuals that are in it. And then the third one is the landscape description or the future vision of really thinking about way long term. What do we want our operation to look like and the community that we're part of and our customers and our resource base that we're working with. So having some um, pretty significant conversations as a family or a team or, or whatever the case may be, but really taking the time um, to talk about that and, and create that shared vision. Right. So part of the reason I wanted to talk about long-term planning is we're coming off a pretty tough year. Um, not a lot of feed put up, so it's probably going to be a bit of a tough winter in a lot of areas too. So how does long-term planning relate uh, to how you respond to wrecks or, you know, when the weather really doesn't cooperate one year or something like that? Well, I think a big part of it is having that, that vision and goal of what, where you're trying to go. Of course, we can make all the plans in the world. And I'll often say it, life is never going to go uh, exactly according to plan. But having some steps put out there about what are some of the ways you can do that. Of course, the financial planning is a big, big part of that. Um, and in these challenging times, you know, I think it's very important that people get back to making sure they're revisiting that. And, you know, we try to do monthly monitoring. And even if you can't do that with your financial plan, at least do it seasonally. You know, now it's starting to get a little bit quieter and we can start looking back and uh, and then also doing our forward projections. The um, financial planning piece also has some strategies and tools where we really analyze our enterprises to see which is contributing the most to our overheads. Also, um, in that, trying to be certain that you might put your average estimates together, you can put some good ones in, but also poor as well. So here's a perfect thing to start talking about right now. This for many of us in Western Canada and parts of the United States was uh, quite a dry year, whether it was a full on drought or not is somewhat variable to where you are. But starting to think about right now, okay, what if the conditions next year are the same? and don't improve moisture wise. You need to be starting to put some plans together to be certain that you can manage through that. You know, what's your carrying capacity gonna be like? Again, you already mentioned the feed and the cost of it. You know, what's that going to mean for, um, for our overall bottom line and some of the strategies that we should, to, should do differently. And of course, planning ahead, then if you're doing that and monitoring, then you can see where the missteps are happening. So that, um, you know, in for many of the ranchers where they sell their calves once a year, you know, if that misses the mark, then you've still got the whole rest of the year to try to get through. So what are some other strategies that you can come up with to do that? And, and relying on the creativity of your team too, I think is, uh, 
is an important piece of it. So again, there's so many variables, but you can make some assumptions based on last year's projections, the market. And so at least you have a sense of confidence that if things go average, you know, it will still be um, all right. Right. That makes sense. Uh, now, you mentioned relying on your team's creativity. Uh, just really quick, do you want to talk about who you think should be involved in, in making these long-term plans and how to involve them? Yeah, well, that, again, you know, as we've talked uh, offline, kind of fits in with the succession planning piece. And, you know, one of the strategies in the holistic management decision-making right at the beginning, you know, is we really kind of put together and assess our start starting point. You know, so, of course, that's going to be the land base, the livestock, machinery, equipment, all the assets and that kind of thing. But I really try to stress to people also, I think we should be, um, pay more attention to the strengths, the skill sets, the interests, and the passions of those that are uh, that are working along with us. You know, and certainly as we start looking at transitioning to a next generation, realizing that it's in all likelihood the operation is going to change, and I think we need to be open for that. And the more that we can improve communication and have these discussions on our team, I think that's important. You know, so certainly supportive of the idea that the the key decision makers for sure need to be involved in that. And then it'll depend on each operation, which, you know, is another uh, important piece of holistic management we talk about is that each operation is unique. And they're unique to one another and it's even unique to time. Like next year is going to be different here, obviously, than it was this year. And so knowing that there is that adaptive component and the flexibility needed. So as we go on and, and think about some of those things, I think sometimes, especially in challenging years, you know, we just really wish that somebody would come along or we could find a solution that's just like follow these 10 steps, silver bullet, everything will be um, marvelous. But the fact of the matter, it isn't. And holistic management isn't like that. We use a decision-making framework, but it's really up to each operation to apply the principles uh, in the most appropriate way for them. So that, you know, uh, getting a little bit off, but the tangent from the original question, but I always think the more people, the better. Now, the flip side is that if you're, it can become very unwieldy and cumbersome if there's too many people, but thinking about the roles and the responsibilities that people play in the operation, and then should they be included in those uh, conversations or not. Right. Now, I know for myself, when making really long-term plans, it can be tricky to break down that someday eventually goal <laughs> into steps that are kind of actionable or that sort of thing. So how do you go about building that action plan towards your, your eventual goal? Yeah, well, I think that's when we kind of get into the strategic planning, which is, you know, the overall five year, like we're talking today, or some people honestly, um, will break it down into three years. But really, where we start with, again, is some more visioning and saying, you know, okay, by 2026, 
what's going to be going on. And then really starting to think of, okay, in a perfect world, what would be happening in five years? What do we want to have happening in five years? What do we want the operation to look like? What do we want to be doing for work? What do we want to be doing for fun? Who are the people around us? And so depending on where you're at, maybe it's easier to do that for a three-year span, but really thinking and get concrete. How old will you be, you know, with some of those specific? And then what we'd like to do, what we do like to do, is have people um, sort of really reflect and do that individually and then come back and do it for the team, the farm, the operation and say, okay, you know, at its very best, at its very best by 2026, what's your operation looking like? And, and this is a dreaming type of exercise. So we try to keep the, oh yeah, bots out of it, but just to say, you know, really, if things went very well, um, those are fantastic exercises to um, learn some more about each other too and improve communication. And, you know, then, and maybe some new opportunities come up, you know, if one of the members says, well, you know, I really would like to have a farm store. That would be so great, you know, so uh, a way to explore some of that. But as you said, once you've determined that, you can't get that all done in the next six months. So we kind of break it down into goal areas, which, um, you know, often in farms and ranches, one's going to be land and livestock and others probably finances, probably another human one. And then um, perhaps a succession plan if you're starting to work on that and think, okay, well, if that's what we're shooting for, like 2026, what needs to happen in 2022. Obviously, it's not all going to and start putting those pieces together. You know, um, I mean, one of it is probably the annual financial plan, make sure that happens. You know, the grazing planning and your cropping plan, those are annual events. But then beyond that, what do we need to start doing? Is there a new enterprise being um, considered? And what are some ways and strategies we would go about um, achieving that and then um, break it down. Okay, if that's the outcome that we're looking for, then let's get real um, specific. And when does that need to happen? Who's going to do it? Do they need some extra resources? And, you know, there's a really great way that you then have um, that planning then builds into your regular management meetings because you have a calendar that said, you know, we were going to get our financial planning done by the end of January. So have that meeting. Where are we at? Who's doing it? And uh, same with the grazing planning. Are you buying more bulls? Put that in there. You know, another piece of it will be taking a family holiday. Okay. Who's planning that? You know, um, it's really, really a great process to start putting those pieces together to, like you say, Johanna, bring it back to, okay, what do I need to do in the next, um, six months to a year that all those steps are still taking me towards that longer term vision. That makes good sense to me. Um, so we've already sort of touched on succession planning, but we can't really talk about a long-term plan without at least sort of thinking about that. Um, so what are the top three things that you think people should be working on or you should at least keep in mind when they're planning for succession? Well, certainly I think that 
that step that I referred to in holistic management where we create that longer term shared vision is really powerful and an important piece of it. And probably for succession planning, there's going to be a spillover into estate planning. So in those conversations, more family members are likely to be included than those that are just managing the farm. I mean, that's the starting point, right? Again, including the more people you can, the better to try to start figuring out some of these things. I think another important piece of it is the contingency plan, because it's not if I die, it's really when. And so the more comfortable we can become talking about those conversations now and hearing what people's hopes and dreams and wishes are when they're still sitting at the table having a cup of coffee with us. Because as anybody knows who's gone through tragedy and loss, the, these conversations are difficult when everybody's there and present. They're way harder when somebody's um, recently gone. So the more conversations you can have about that, I think the better. I can't stress that one enough, actually. You know, I was doing a workshop the other day and uh, the question that I put to the group was, does your executor know that they're your executor? Because lots of times people put their wills together. They pick somebody, don't necessarily even ask them. 20 years later, that's still the person named in the document, you know, and is it good to have um, children by themselves or a single child from a family be the executor by themselves? I'm not sure. I think that maybe an outside um, trusted family friend could be part of that. So, you know, when was the last time you updated your will? And so I, I often encourage that to be the starting point for bigger succession planning, but just like if something happened tomorrow, where does everything stand? And um, again, we feel that these are well, they are. It's a sad thing or a depressing thing to talk about. So we avoid it. But the more proactive we can be, I just can't stress that one enough because I really think it is uh, important. And then another big piece of it, I think, for those of us that might be turning the reins over or moving aside is to really recognize these operations are not going to look the same when they get transitioned to the next generation. The upcoming um, kids or young people, I mean, they're enthusiastic, they're smart, they're creative, they want to do some things differently. And I really think we need to give them the freedom to, uh, to be able to do that as well. I'm not sure if that was three yes for three. There might be some combos in there, but. Uh. <laughs> On that note, does it, do those recommendations change if, if your succession plan includes passing the farm to someone outside your family, like an apprentice or something like that, or even just selling the operation? Are there other things you need to consider or is it kind of the same? You know, I really think it's kind of the same because um, if the farm is, uh, going to be sold outright, 
then I would hope that the family knows that, right? You know, um, so that communication is important, regardless of whether it's staying within or whatever is happening. And also, you know, if it's being passed on um, or transitioned to a non-family person, like an apprentice, there's still a big knowledge transfer that needs to happen and the management, you know, and those are, are really the same, trying to figure out, you know, how we help people get the information and the experience that they need and what sort of parameters do we need to put in place for that right I do want to circle back a little bit to uh, the long-term planning and you mentioned a little bit about how important it is that our our long-term planning be adaptive um, and that sort of stuff so are there are there certain things that we should really be considering or steps we should take when we need to revise our long-term our long-term plans or goals? Well, you know, as part of the um, actual financial planning process, the monitoring piece, I think, is so important for everything it is. But, um, you know, whether it's on your land um, or in the in the human dynamic as well, but just one of the things that we recommend is that you have a strategy for the financial planning where you put all your planned figures in and then each month you go back and put the actuals in so referencing a wee bit this is more detailed what i said before so that every month you're able to see that um where you are on track or if you're not on track to achieving that ultimate profit that you have uh, planned in the first place to figure out how that's going to happen so figuring out um other indicators, I think, in the monitoring, you know, how do you know that you're on track or not? I think it's, um, it's so true that, that nothing is going to go 100% according to plan. But when everybody has a sense of what direction we're going and what we're tra- trying to achieve, that really, um, a lot of amazing things can happen when a group comes together like that, for sure. But also, you know, lots of different things, um, positive and negative will impact us. And we do need to be adaptive so that, you know, we can try to say, okay, boy, we've got a vulnerable area here. And maybe a, another tool that can really help with that, that is not exclusive to holistic management, just management in general, is the SWOT analysis, where you sit down and do your strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities and threats. Um, usually, the strengths and weaknesses are looked at internally inside the organization or the operation and the um the other two the opportunities and threats are more external but i think those can help you be uh, a little bit more more poised for change and adaptive if that kind of goes to what you were um asking that makes some sense to me it's funny to hear you talk about including people and stuff i had a chat with um Dallas Mount from Ranching for Profit. And he said a lot of the same things about you have to include people because if you include people, then they know where you're going and they're on board with the plan. For sure. For sure. And I mean, lots of us will know of examples where um, people, children, 
or the next generation has said, no, we're going to go do our own thing. Uh, we're not going to uh, be actively involved in the farm. And so they go away for a few years and then come back. I think that's happened a little bit more in Western Canada with the um, challenges in the oil and gas industry where people find themselves at a crossroads and think, you know what? I didn't think I was going to go back to the farmer ranch, but now I would like to. And uh, again, that connects a little bit with what I was saying before, you know, being open to, well, how can we support some more enterprises? You know, there's some that I personally am not interested in doing, but if one of the kids wants to and can put a plan together, you know, uh, again, be creative and inclusive. And I think that's an important piece of it. Or, you know, a, a, another example that I use, and I've seen this too, is that when you're having some of those um, conversations, those visioning um dialogues where somebody will say you know what I don't actually really want to be doing this enterprise anymore and so maybe you know uh, I know of an example where it, there was cropping grain and livestock and they decided to um, kind of split them they to into two separate operations they still work together a lot and uh, interestingly they both have started to include the enterprise that they had um, shifted out of initially. But, and that's gonna change again as the next generation comes along. So I think that's an important piece of it, you know, because in that way, people aren't feeling compelled to stick with uh, a pathway that they never really wanted to be on anyway. You know, um, that's not a good way to build a sustainable or regenerative operation if people are just kind of feeling like they've got to go along with that. So, but again, those open and honest conversations aren't always easy to have. And, and as my good friend and mentor, David Irvine always says, you know, we just got to keep practicing at it. It's a, it's like a muscle and we're not used to using it. We're really good at growing things in agriculture, but uh, not always some of those other areas. So we just need to keep working on it. For sure. So I think we're running up on time here now. So, um, but before we sign us off, uh, are there any resources you'd like to mention or events or any of that sort of stuff for people who are interested in learning more about holistic management or making plans or that sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, well, for one thing, uh, two, or there's a multitude of good resources. Uh, certainly the internet has widened that scope for us of um, the holisticmanagement.org is the site for the Holistic Management International. There's also holisticmanagement.ca. That is the Canadian version. The Savory Institute has a web website, which is easy to look up. And all of those have and we'll have different workshops and uh, events and learning opportunities, which of course now, um, one of the good things that's come out of COVID is this online learning. So there's a lot of ways to do, to do it um, without being more in the traditional setting. I'm still biased. I still like learning with people when we're all sitting in the same room, as you know, and can do face-to-face -face because it's not even so much about the transfer of knowledge from the uh, facilitator, the teacher, but all the shared knowledge that we can get in a group. But it's amazing, even with Zoom and some small groups that I've worked with, we've really learned a lot and become quite a close uh, close group. So some of those things, there's all kinds of resources out there. 
out there for that. Um, in uh, Western Canada, we try to model our winter training. It usually happens in the winter, as you know, because it's five or six days of in-person. And as we've done up in the peace country, if there's enough of a group, you know, if there's six families or farm units that want to get together and have a workshop, then we totally would do that. And um, we have some more educators in training coming up in that are participating in that. So that would be another uh, really great way to um, share some knowledge. And of course, I mean, I got to give a shout out to you guys at the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association, because you're a great resource for all kinds of events and and learning opportunities and that type of thing. I'm not totally sure what this winter is going to look like for in-person, but um, even hybrids might be uh, popping up on a smaller scale. And I have, uh, yeah, I have my own uh, website, kellysidoric.com, that people can check out. Awesome. I'll uh, put the link to some of those down in the description of the podcast so people can find them and and look them up and all that good stuff. Um, well, I think that is where we'll wrap up for today. Thank you very much for coming on. It was good to chat with you. For sure. Thanks so much for having me. And you'll pro- you can probably put my uh, email in the show notes or whatever you guys call it on your podcast. And yeah, really enjoyed the visit and the connection and uh, always like... Um, checking in and connecting with people so if anybody wants to reach out to me and have more questions I'd be happy to answer them Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative and attractive to future generations To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening.